0: This is the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin, episode 10.
1: Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin.
0: Hey, what's up? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That. My name is Grant Baldwin. We are at episode 10, my friend. We have reached double digits. I know many of you, uh, you, you doubted, you were wondering, is he really, is he going to make it? Is he going to, yeah, well, we're at 10. So we're going to hang in this for a little longer. Really excited that you're joining us today. We've got a great Great guest with us today, a personal friend of mine I actually I literally just got done recording the the interview, and uh, typically I wait a little bit to do the to record this intro and kind of let everything let the dust settle in my own mind, but I was just I was so amped up i couldn 't wait to to just get back on the mic and share this guest with you we uh, We are joined today by Dan Miller. Dan Miller wrote a book called 48 Days to the Work You Love, which had a huge, huge impact in my own world. Uh, we will definitely link up to that in the show notes. Uh, and you can find everything that we discussed today at com slash Dan Miller. But Dan is a guy who... He's someone who's done a variety of different careers and someone who's always just kind of uh, been an entrepreneur and someone who's who's gone a couple different paths, but always just kind of felt like, no, I'm, I'm going to try this. And then if it works, great. And if, if it doesn't work, great. And I'll shift and pivot and do something different. And has always just kind of felt comfortable in that. But really what he's known for is this 48 days brand where he really helps people make that transition from where they are to where they want to be, especially and specifically as it relates to their career. So I'm really, really honored and stoked to to share this interview with you today. It's really, really good stuff. Again, check out the show notes. Everything that we discuss, you can find at grandbalden.com/slash Dan Miller. All right. So here's my interview with Dan. Enjoy. Hey, welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? Today I'm joined by my friend Dan Miller. Dan, how you doing, man? Hey, doing excellent, Grant. Awesome. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. So you uh you've got this website, 48 Days to the Work You Love, and you really you really help people do so much of what this podcast is about is helping people find and do work you love. So for someone who may not be familiar with who you are or the
1: what it is that you do today, paint us a little picture of, of what your business is like. The 48 Days, I mean, that's a very strategic brand because I've been working with people making career transitions for a long time. And I became frustrated with the idea that people said, man, my job sucks. You know, I don't want to do this anymore. We map out a plan of what they're going to go to. And two years later, they haven't done anything. I'm like, yeah. you got to be kidding me. So 48 days is just that brand where I think that's enough time to kind of take a fresh look at where am I, get the advice from smart people, choose the best alternative, do a little bit more research and act. So make those decisions, make them quickly. Start in a new direction if you need to. And that's what I do. Nice. And I, I mentioned to you offline that, that you know, your
0: work and your book, specifically 48 Days to the Work You Love, is, was a huge, huge impact in my own world and I think has had a big influence in what I'm doing today. And uh, so that's definitely a, a book that people will want to check out. But obviously, you, you've been doing this for a while. So back us up a little bit and tell
1: us, how did you get into this? What led to this where you're at today? You know, this is not something that I envisioned when I was 18 years old. I'm going to be an author, speaker, coach. Right. And I think to do that effectively, you need a little life experience. So I welcome those early stages in anybody's career. Certainly in my own, I did. I wasn't too obsessed with finding the one right thing. I did a lot of different things, enjoyed the journey, had a lot of fun. And it was only when I was about 45 years old that there was kind of a convergence of things where all of a sudden I had an opportunity to or was asked to. Teach a Sunday school class on career transitions and started just kind of developing my own material based on working with people who are going through that. That grew exponentially. People started asking me for materials. I didn't have anything. So I finally put together just a little rudimentary format in a three ring binder of my notes, sold a couple million dollars worth of that little three ring binder. And, you know, kind of put myself on the map as a go-to guy in this career space. But it wasn't something I really ever sat down and said, wow, this is what I want to do. I should be as a career guy where I teach people how to set goals and achieve them. I ought to be, have a more strategic background than what I do. But I was busy. I was successful as a sales guy when all this happened, but it just kept showing up. And finally, I just said yes to the opportunity that was looking me in the face, and it really took off.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like you, know you, you, in some ways, just kind of stumbled into it, that you see enough people that are asking about it or coming to you, and you kind of become this go-to guy. You, you've got the Sunday school class. And, and so you mentioned, you kind of alluded to it there, that you were doing some sales. Prior to this epiphany at the Sunday school class, what were you doing for the
1: previous you know 25 years or so of your career? Well, Grant, I'm an entrepreneur from the top of my head to the tip of my toes. So I've always just found things that I enjoy doing and turn it into making money. So I had a variety of things. I mean, I worked selling cars for a while, and then I had an auto accessories business. I've been in the health and fitness industry. I've done sales training for other organizations, put together an advertising concept that was real successful. You know, when you are comfortable relating to people and comfortable in what looks to the rest of the world like selling... You can pretty much land on your feet anywhere you want to. So we've moved across a country of different times with no real plan in place, just knowing that we were going to move somewhere where we thought it'd be a cool place to live. And then I figure out what I'm going to do to make income after we're there. I've never been pulled around because of a job offer at all. I've just always done things. So yeah, I was doing more of what we're describing here when this all kind of came together.
0: How did you become comfortable with that idea of, of, in some ways, that uncertainty of, I could really do whatever it is that I'd like to do, and I kind of have that entrepreneur bug, but honing in on what it is that you really wanted to do, was that ever just kind of that, that, that eating at you at the back of your mind that you really needed to know kind of what the one thing was, or did, were you just comfortable with the idea of, I could really kind of do whatever I want?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Definitely plan B. I mean, I, I really have never been that pressured in thinking I had to figure out the one thing. I mean, in doing a variety of things and I enjoyed them all. Golly, when I was selling cars years and years ago out in California, had an absolute ball. I love cars, love everything about them. So I would sell cars, just treated people well. They brought their friends, their relatives. I mean, I here's a quick example. One of the very first cars that I sold in Southern California, I sold to a kid who walked onto the lot. Now, if you're familiar with car salespeople, they prejudge people all the time. Sure. So somebody walking onto the lot, they would immediately assume is not a qualified buyer, doesn't even have a current car. So I talked to this kid and geez, he went right over to a Corvette that I had, you know, obviously, you know, out of his league. Well, I talked to him about it. He says, can I take it for a ride? And after I affirmed that he in fact had a driver's license, we jumped in, took a ride, came back and I says, man, if you were going to buy this thing, take it home with you today, you know, would I need to help you get financing now? Nah, just pay for it. So well, we went in, sat down at the office. I wrote up just a simple form, turned it around and said, all you need to do is just okay. This here, we'll take care of it. He signed, stood up, pulled up his T-shirt, and started pulling out stacks of $20 bills. (laughs) Now, here's the deal. You know, most people would have just blown that kid off. I treated him with respect, talked to him, had fun with him. He bought that car. In the next year, in that current year, when you count his extended family, cousins, aunts, uncles, and all that, I sold 14 cars to that one family where the door was opened by treating that one kid with respect. That's, That's the way I've always experienced selling treat people well, selling is a really enjoyable thing to do. So I've been involved in a lot of different industries, just in the sales aspect and enjoyed every one of those. Even at this point, if you were to wipe out my writing, speaking, coaching, I mean, I wouldn't be distraught. I wouldn't feel like, wow, my life's work is gone. I could continue in my life's path doing something that looked totally different on a day by day basis and absolutely love it.
0: Yeah, that's so true. In fact, I was just telling my wife that I said, if, if I couldn't speak tomorrow, uh, I'm confident we could still figure out a way to make a living and still have a great time doing it. Uh, so let me ask you this, though, that, that, you know, a lot of people, we put so much pressure on ourselves to feel the need to know what's the one thing I'm put on this planet to know this one thing that I'm supposed to do with my life, even though statistically, most people won't do that one thing for their entire life, whatever that thing is. How, how do you get people to just kind of take some of the pressure off of feeling the need to know what the
1: one thing is? Well, I, I like that sense of the search for the one thing, but I don't really think you can narrow it down to that, especially now here, here's another way to kind of frame this. We use the terms calling career and job. And we use them kind of simultaneously. Well, you know, I'm I'm called to do this, or this is my this is my mission. Well, that should be the big picture. You know, you, as part of somebody's mission or calling, we could say that I want to help reduce pain and suffering in the world. Okay, that's a pretty right. big picture. Then we come down to a subset. All right, what would I have to do in terms of a career that would fully embrace my desire, my mission, my purpose, my calling to help reduce pain and suffering in the world. Well, you could be a physician, you could be a massage therapist, a sports trainer, you know, biochemist, pastor, teacher, there's a politician. There's a whole lot of things you could do as a career. So that's just a subset. Then we come down to job, what we do daily, man, oh man. And in that kind of train of thinking that we were just describing, let's say that you wanted to be a nurse. All right. I mean, in any town, there's probably 3,000 opportunities to have a daily job as a nurse, but that's just the smallest component. That's why in choosing to change a job or in losing a job unexpectedly, it should never change your purpose or mission. That's the big picture, but that's why I have fun working with physicians, attorneys, dentists, pastors who are saying, geez, I don't think I want to do this anymore. Well, that's okay. We don't go back and start over. We validate what you've done, but we can find another example of application that may look totally different to your neighbors when you walk out the door every morning,
0: and most people aren't just aren't. I guess it's just that they have a difficult time being comfortable with that idea, feeling like, oh, if, if I'm a doctor, if I'm a pastor, if I'm a, if I'm whatever it is that I've done up until this point in my life, or this is what my college degree is in, I feel trapped. I feel like this is what I'm invested in. So the idea of pivoting or shifting or going a totally different direction just feels like I'm abandoning everything
1: that I've learned and, and invested into up until this point. Well, it doesn't look like that because we become enamored with what we do every day. We lose sense of who we are or who we're becoming. If you know who you are, what you do can take a lot of different directions very comfortably. And when we talk about finding that one right thing, Grant, or we talk about finding your passion, in the last book that I wrote, I wrote with my son who has a different life perspective than I do. And it's titled Wisdom Meets Passion, but when, when people say, oh, man, I just haven't found my passion yet, and they, they kind of imply they're going to go sit on a stump somewhere and wait for that bolt of lightning, that is not how we find our passion. Right. Passion is more developed than it is discovered. So it's not something to just sit around waiting for the light bulb to go off. It's you develop passion by being involved in doing something. So you can't sit on the sidelines of the game of life and ever come up with that one big thing. You develop that the sense of knowing what that is by being totally involved in the game of life, and that can you can be doing a lot of different things, and you'll keep getting clear and clear and clear on what that real passion is, so that you can develop it and then devote significant part of your life. You know, invested in that.
0: And it sounds like that's really been a, a plot line in your own story of that passion for helping other people has evolved. You know, whenever you started off selling cars or you're doing something in the fitness and health industry and you're kind of trying a, a couple different things, it sounds like that that passion of helping other people to find what it is that they are going to do or what it is that they're passionate about, what they're called to do
1: has just kind of evolved over time. And I was able to do that from day one. I mean, I I got my degree, my bachelor's degree in psychology from the Ohio State University. You know, then I worked for a few years, and then I went back and got my master's degree in clinical psychology. Never interested in being a, a psychotherapist or counselor at all, but I knew that it would help me in having clarity about how to help people find clarity in their own lives, their purpose, their passion. That's always been a continuing theme, even as I've done a whole lot of different things working business-wise along the way.
0: So did you find even in your, you know, your your 20s and into your 30s that the various types of careers that you're doing, you're still kind of there. There's that, again, that underlying current or that underlying theme of you're still kind of helping people, maybe coworkers and employees and and colleagues that you're working with kind of hone in and figure out what it is that that they want to do. It sounds like that's kind of been a, a theme throughout.
1: It really has. When I had a health and fitness center, I had about 45 employees, you know, all these cute gals who led aerobics and stuff. I mean that was the ongoing theme. Gee, where do you want to be five years from now? How can I help you get there? You know, I had a, had a young employee came to me one time. He had been played professional baseball, really sharp guy. And he came to me and says, man, I just got this job offer. You know, it would double my income, you know, it'd be really cool, but I'm not going to do that because I owe so much to you because you helped me become the person that I am today. And I'm like, dude, you are out of here tomorrow. <laughs> you are not going to pass up on that opportunity. You don't need to stay here out of a sense of obligation to me where you end up resenting that. I am proud to have been part of helping you clarify and get you this next opportunity. I've always had that, that, that kind of sense of, you know, working with people. I want to be part of helping them go to higher levels of success. And I sure don't want to, as a boss or employer, you know, hold people back.
0: And you you seem like, you know, at the when you're 45, you really kind of landed on this is a big, like full time life mission, even though you've done that a lot up until that point. Uh, and a lot of people, I feel like they want to rush that process, like they want to know what that what that forty five year old stage looks like when i'm twenty five. So how do you take some of the pressure off and feel like, no, 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 those those twenty, twenty plus years of of just going through life and kind of honing in on this is what I'm good at, this is what I'm passionate about, this is the type of work environment I like. how do we we take some of that pressure off of
1: ourselves? Yeah, and that's a great question, you know, especially for your audience. I have a lot of parents call me and say, oh my gosh, you know, my 23-year-old son just graduated from college and he still doesn't know what he wants to do. Gee, I got a 22-year-old daughter and she's had six jobs in the last two years. Can you help her? And I say, yeah, absolutely. Have her call me 10 years from now. You know, it always takes them back. But I, I believe that the early part of our careers, the main benefit is not to find that one thing from which there's no escape, but it's to help us in the clarification process. So if somebody has had six different jobs, and incidentally, the length of job, the average length of job for somebody in their 20s in the United States right now is 13 months. That means there's going to be a lot of changes. That doesn't mean that you keep starting over. It's a continuing process of clarification, and that's perfectly fine. We know that 80% of college graduates 10 years after graduation are working in something totally unrelated to their college degree. That's okay. College is not meant to put you in a rut. It's to help you explore and have better opportunities, a broader horizon. That's Was it, its main purpose.
0: For sure, and I, I totally agree with that. And I, I, I tell students that a lot, both high school and college students that, you know, Take some of the pressure off. You don't have to feel like you know today as an 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old that what you're doing for the next 50 years of your life, you know exactly how that's going to play out. You don't because your life is always evolving and changing. And what happens in your world today is going to it's gonna have a huge impact on the person that you, you become and the work that you do, you know, 5,
1: 10, maybe even 20 years down the line. Uh, Absolutely. One, so, of, one of the people that I, that I really gravitated to, German psychoanalyst Carl Jung contemporary Sigmund Freud. His writings have impacted me a lot, how he interpreted dreams and all that. But, you know, he really talked clearly about the fact that you don't go to school to be a psychotherapist, counselor, coach, and then you come out, you know, and then you just, you read a book and get a degree and then you come out and you're an effective counselor. He said effective counselors, a therapist, have to have a variety of life experiences so they know the right questions to ask. And he encouraged people to do a variety of things up until, the fa- up until the point when you are 45 or 50 years old. Then you're equipped to really help people deal with the realities of life. Well, I took that model very seriously. And I just did a lot of different things. I mean, it's just the drop of a hat. And again, we would move across the country and just start something new. I mean, I loved it, loved the process. But then, right on track, I had enough maturity, academic experience. And all of a sudden, some things came together that helped me see this amazing opportunity to crystallize what I had been doing pretty informally all along, but to bring it to the forefront where I coach, speak, and write.
0: So whenever you're going through those various transitions and you, you see an opportunity or a different job pops up and drop with a hat, you're willing to, you know, to move cross country and just pack up everything and try this new adventure. What is, uh, what's your family? What's your wife? What's parents or, or just friends and colleagues thinking? Are they, are they questioning you? Are they going along with it?
1: Uh, how are you earning their confidence and trust? Well, I got married very young and fortunate for me you know, have an amazing partner through all of this. How old were you it, when you got married? How I had just turned
0: twenty. Uh, I was the same way. Married my high school sweetheart, We just <laughs> turned 20. Thank thankfully she still really likes me and I really like her. But yeah. Oh, no kidding. What an amazing gift.
1: So that's the most important support system right there. Yep. Beyond that, no, there were a whole lot of people that said, Are you kidding me? You know, you got your master's degree in psychology and now you're a used car salesman. I mean, what's up with that? Why aren't you using your degree? But see, I just described to you a situation where I listened, unconditional positive regard. We could use all kinds of the old psychology terms in terms of how I related to customers to be so successful in selling cars. Was I not using my background education? You got to be kidding me. Of course I am. It becomes part of who you are. But it doesn't mean that it locks you in just one tiny traditional application. You know, I could say, gee, if you want to be a teacher, and the first thing that comes to mind is a public school with 46 kids sitting there looking at you. We can be a teacher working to to teach six kids of IBM executives living in Acapulco, Mexico. I, I don't know. We could go on and on. But we so often just go with the big generic applications of what we're going to do career wise, and we miss the richness of the individualized, personalized things that we could be doing.
0: What caused you to make the various transitions over that, you know, 20, 25 year period? Was it more that you'd been doing something for a season of life and it's, it's kind of run its course and you were done with it or more that you saw something else and kind of felt like the grass was greener or uh, what
1: caused you to make the leap from one thing to the next? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. My wife would like to have an answer to that. (laughs) She calls me at this point a three-year man. I love change. I love the challenge of starting something new. Yep. If something is successful, predictably successful, I'm going to get bored really quickly and I tend to sabotage that. I need the challenge of something new and different. So it wasn't based on, gee, this isn't working anymore. No, no, not at all. I love the challenge of a new opportunity. Now, recognizing it about myself, I anticipate it more and more as I get older. I know that about myself. So I've never, ever tried to find the one thing that I'm going to do for the next 20 years. I mean, personally, I think that's ridiculous. Yep. Find something that you can really engage in for two or three years, and then you reevaluate. I mean, it used to be that we put a lot of emphasis, a lot of value in somebody having been at the same place, the same job for 25 years. Are you kidding me? In today's environment, a new company looking at that person is going to think you are you can't be serious. Has this person never kept up with things? Have they never looked for change? I mean, that's a more of a red flag than it is a benefit at this point.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, my it's so funny you said that the three years. My wife gives me grief that I'm the two year guy. So uh, <laughs> just a series like as long as we've been together. We started dating when I was a freshman in high school. We were, I was 15, and and just a series like one to two years is about as long as I could make it. And then you're just looking for the next challenge, you know. And you're looking for that next mountain to climb. And so even as a speaker, she's giving me grief sometimes. Like you've been doing this for a little while. You're probably this is probably why you're starting this podcast. You're getting the itch to do something something different. I guess. How do you become a comfortable with that and because you seem like someone that's very very comfortable with the idea that no i'm going to do this for two years and, and and if i if i do something for two years and it works great and if it doesn't great that's fine i tried it now i can pivot and go somewhere else i feel the same way but how for someone that may be listening to this how would someone get comfortable in their own skin of trying a variety of different things over the next you know 10 20 50 years
1: well part of this is based on personality style we're not all wired the same way I mean, I, I'm a change agent. Not everybody is. Some people like things that are predictable and the same. I acknowledge that readily. For me, I just see so many opportunities. I mean, I'm the kind of guy, I can't walk down the lane and get the mail without coming back with three new ideas about You're things right. I could do. I mean, I see that all the time. I just started a mastermind. It's one, it's something that I'm really excited about. And it's set up, you know, to make me a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. I told the people who I invited as members of that, that we were going to do this for three years. And at the end of three years, we're going to reevaluate to see, if do we even want to continue? Maybe at that point, I'll tell those people in there to spin off and do something on their own. But I, but that, But I went into it right from the get-go with the idea, we're going to do this for three years, and then we're going to take a serious look at we, because the last thing I want to do is get stagnant, or just get comfortable right. in that. I am energized by the unknown, by challenges, by wanting to do new things. I wouldn't have the excitement of getting up in the morning if I thought everything was going to be predictable. Now, again, part of this is personality style, but that's the way I love to live my life with just the the excitement of the unknown and something new is going to happen today.
0: Yeah. So you, you reach that point where you're, you're 45, you start teaching that Sunday school class and people are starting to come to you. You're starting to see kind of this, this light bulb moment. Like there's, there might be something here. There might be something to this three ring binder that people are intrigued by. What do you do
1: from there to really get it beyond just a Sunday school class? Oh, wow. I love that question because uh, it's really important how, when we recognize opportunities, we can take advantage of it. And most people don't. Most people have three or four ideas that would make them millionaires, and they don't do anything on it because they think, ah, it's been done before. Gee, it's too difficult. Right. So here's the deal. So I'm teaching a Sunday school class and got these people showing up. We, we realized we were attracting people from not only other churches but from other states, and I thought, well, this is nuts for them to try to squeeze it in on Sunday morning. So I moved it to a Monday night, and we started doing open career seminars on Monday nights. Did that for eight years and people came from all over. People were asking for that material. So I put together just in a very rudimentary format. It was first in just a spiral bound on the 48 days to the working of principles that I was just putting together from hearing from people, things that really worked. And then I thought, wow, if these people think this is so cool, how could I expand this? I went to a conference I'm a conference junkie. I love learning from people who are already performing at a level which I want to perform. Yeah. I went to a Mark Victor Hansen conference. Mark Victor Hansen being the co-author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. Yep. And they've sold over 130 million copies of that series. Can I learn from him about how to sell books? I think so. Yep. I went to a conference that he put on, sat there for three days, listened, I came back home and did what he told me to do with that little three ring binder. And in the next about 30 months, I sold over $2 million worth of that myself. I never talked to a publisher, never went to a bookstore. I just made it available, did some simple things in terms of marketing and rocked and rolled. Well, guess what? Then again, it worked in a reverse fashion instead of me going around and wringing my hands and standing at the door publishers, hoping to get a publishing deal. I never did that. After I sold a couple million dollars worth of that, I had publishers standing in line at my door. Saying, Dan, will you please work with us? I chose one and did exactly that, and opened the door to the kind of relationships that I have with publishers now, where I can go anywhere I want to with what I write. So,
0: uh, so you go to that conference with Mark Victor Hansen, you come away from that two and a half years later, you sell a couple million. What are what were some of those those tips and, and tactics and strategies that they gave you? It's because within you know thirty months to do a couple million in sales, that's a lot from a three ring binder. So, what are what are some of just like simple, tangible little things that maybe some some of the audience could could try?
1: Well, sure. I'll, I'll tell you a real simple principle. I could take the content. The content in that three-ring binder is printed on one side only. Very inefficient. It has two CDs in there. The content would easily go on one. I could put the entire content that's in there in a printed format in a little perfect bound book. You would pick up in a bookstore and it'd be 12 bucks. But it was not. It was $39 in the format I had. Here's one of the principles. We call it the thumb factor. Yep. I package it so it has the appearance of being more, of being bigger, better, and all that. The louder the noise it makes when, you, you know, when it hits the floor, the more you can charge for it. <laughs> now, that's not being manipulative. Or it's just a fact of human nature. Perceived so value. The packaging had a lot to do with it. We packaged it where people paid $39. Here's another tip. I used an old Jay Abraham tip on reverse uh, risk reversal. And I told people you buy this. If you don't get a job you love in within 48 days, we'll give your money back every penny of it. No questions asked. Well, does that mean that everybody that purchased it got a job they love? No, but it's a marketing tool knowing that very few people will ever take the initiative to send that back. Another thing we did in that is we included in that package 48 peppermint candies. We're known for those peppermint puffs. They're wonderful. Peppermint is energizing. So we make a play on that. and We put 48 in, of those in there. We tell them you eat one a day and – Day 49 rolls around, you're going to start a new season of your life. Well, now that's another marketing tool as well, because if somebody after 30 days hasn't done anything, they didn't even open the package, I mean, they didn't do anything with the materials, they think, oh, I'm just going to send that thing back, and then think, oh, no, wait a minute, I ate two of those mints, so it's not complete. <laughs> those are simple things, but right. it means we have essentially zero in product returns, lots of testimonial stories, but just doing things. But So instead of just being sloppy about it and saying, well, I hope I make money. No, we were very intentional about how can we do this with excellence and do the things that most people don't do. Here, here's a really interesting point, Grant. We know that 95% of authors never make more than $40,000 a year. Yeah. Now, if I were looking for a way to make money, and I know that statistic, i be thinking, man, this is ridiculous. I sure don't want to try to be an author. No. What it does for me, it immediately raises a question in my mind, wow, how difficult can it be to put myself in the 5% and knock it out of the park? All I have to do is look at what most authors do and do things they aren't doing. And it's real easy to do things most authors don't do. So we put ourselves in that 5% and went crazy financially because we just did innovative things to sell the products.
0: Yeah. And I think I think there's a real lesson there that you come away from the conference and it wasn't like this is the magic bullet. This is the pill that you do. You do this one thing and it's going to rocket your sales. But it's really, it's just kind of a culmination of a lot of different things. I'm going to put some eggs in this basket. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to throw this against the wall and see if it sticks. And, and that collective effort and that collective motion and action is really ultimately what generates and creates the success for you long-term.
1: Absolutely. When we released wisdom meets passion that I did with my son. You know, most authors send the manuscript in and then they you know, go park in a lawn chair beside the mailbox waiting on those big royalty checks. And they're going to be disappointed in that. Right. We threw a night to remember book release party. I mean, I was with a major publisher. I mean, we published that book with Thomas Nelson Publishers. We did a book release party. We booked the entire venue, the Legends Club. It's a golfing a resort Here in Franklin, Tennessee, you know, Vince Gill has his big tournaments there Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. We booked that for an evening, had catered. We had the doors open, the killer catering. We had live music. We had gift baskets for everybody. Everybody got uh, a medallion, an Ubuntu medallion, which was part of the story behind the book, two copies of the book, specially created toffee. I mean, I see people who do a book release for their new book and they show up at Barnes & Noble and sit there with a stack of books and say, well, these are $20 each. I'm like, oh man, you missed it. You want to seed the market. You want people to be excited about your story and you need people to be sneezers for you to tell the story. So we distributed thousands of free books. To get things rolling, like we do with every product we come out with.
0: To, to begin to, to wrap things up and, and put a bow on this, you are known as this 48 days, and this has kind of become a, a brand for you. But for someone who may be listening to this right now going, okay, I have a kind of an idea of what it is that I want to do. I'm just terrified to actually make the leap and do it. To them, 48 days seems very, very fast. So how does someone make that transition from where they
1: are to where they want to be? And how do they do that in 48 days? You come up with a clear plan. This is not a matter of just jumping off a bridge at all. Uh, I don't recommend that at all. But here we have to redefine what risk is. Risk is when you don't have any control. So if we go to Las Vegas and we put the keys to our cars down on a roll of the dice, that's risky because we don't have any control. That's not what we do in this arena we're talking about here. You create a plan. And if you create a plan, then... You make that transition knowing every step of the way, you know, what's going to come next. Now, here's an interesting thing, too. A lot of people that I deal with, you know, they they have a job. and They say, oh, man, I, I've got to have the security of a job. Well, I spoke not too long ago down here at the Saturn plant to the executives because they were going to close the doors. Here's an American manufacturing company, big man- car manufacturing company. Everybody thought it was too big to fail, that kind of thing. Well, no, it wasn't making money. It was sucking wind. They're going to close the doors. So in talking to those people, did they think they had security? You better believe it. They thought they were absolutely guaranteed to go into retirement. No, it was just an illusion. That's not where security comes from. If I walk into a job every day, I have the potential of having one person put me on the street before noon I know that I have to be realistic about that. If I have a hot dog stand down here in Nashville, Tennessee, I may have 250 people come by every day to buy hot dogs. I have to have 250 people decide not to do business with me anymore to put me out of business. If one says, man, your hot dogs stink. I'm never coming back. Big deal. That's one person out of 250. I can replace them. Right. So, People who end up ultimately really wealthy see risk in exactly the opposite way as the average American walking on the street. Yeah.
0: So, so true. And, and hopefully, for someone that may be, may be uh, listening to this, that this helps kind of just pivot and shape their own you know their own worldview of the position and the job that they're in. There's a lot of people that I think you and I both talk to that say, I would love to start my own business. I'd love to be an entrepreneur. And I know exactly what I do. And I know how I can make it happen. But it's just safe. And it's, so, it's comfortable. And it's seemingly secure on this side. And it becomes so difficult to make that leap. But hopefully, hopefully the way, the way you framed it there of being able to see risk in, in kind of a, an opposite way, that it, it's more risky to necessarily stay where you're at than to make that leap and hopefully someone uh hopefully
1: people will will begin to make that transition. Well, Grant, I know I know that you speak to a, a young audience and I'm certainly not encouraging everybody just to waltz out on their own and figure something <laughs> out. I mean, there's value in being part of an organization, especially in the early part of our careers, to learn those principles on somebody else's nickel, especially. I and mean, nothing wrong with that at all. Sure. But what I do in times of transition, when people are going through the transition, whether they chose it or it was superimposed on them unexpectedly, I encourage them to look at the broad spectrum of possibilities. That's all I do. I want you to see the whole picture, not just one particular tiny way to get your next paycheck.
0: Yeah, great stuff. Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to chat with us and to share not only your story, but just some of the, the lessons that you've learned along the way in your work. How, how can we find out more about you or some of the, the resources and products that you have available to, to help help us make these transitions?
1: Well, 48 Days has become pretty much my brand, so anything you do with 48 Days, you're going to be directly coming right in my back door. So 48days.com, we've got a lot of resources. Um, My podcast, of course, is there, my blog, newsletter, and those things. And then we got a great community, 48days.net, and that's just people. There's no cost to be part of that, but it's just people who are linking arms, sharing ideas and resources, and we kind of use the old adage, a rising tide raises all ships. People helping each other help. Everybody rise to success more quickly. So those are the two primary places. Beautiful.
0: Definitely make sure that you, you stop by and you check those out. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, 48 Days to the Work You Love was a book that had a huge, huge impact uh, on not only my transition to what I'm doing today, but even in the work that I continue to do today and hopefully how we're able to help people uh, do what Dan has done for, for me. So uh, Dan, thank you so much for the impact and influence you've made, not only with our audience today, but the influence and impact you've made in my life personally. We really, really appreciate it.
1: Well, thanks. It's been my pleasure, Grant.
0: All right. We'll talk to you soon. Alright, there you have it. Episode 10 with Dan Miller. I hope you enjoyed that. Hopefully uh, that was inspiring to you. Not only just to hear Dan's journey about how he's he's tried a few different things, how he became comfortable with that, where he was that three-year man and it wasn't a, a bad thing, but it was something that he was proud of. And, and even like I, I alluded to with him, that's something that I've always kind of felt in my own journey of, as I'm someone that I, I like to try a few different things. And that's oftentimes in society or maybe just in our own head, just looked down upon that you just, you, you pick something you stick with it for a while and then maybe maybe eventually you shift gears or do something different but it's great to hear from someone like Dan who's, who's extremely extremely successful and has done very very well in business and in life to say no, no no it's comfortable it's okay to do something for a year or two or three and if you don't like it then try something different to go a, go a different direction go a different course and uh, so I hope that that was inspiring I hope that that was encouraging for you uh, to hear a little bit more about Dan's story again like I mentioned you can find and all the show notes, the links, uh, link up to the book there, uh, 48 Days to the Work You Love. Dan also has some really cool live events that he does at his place in Franklin, Tennessee, outside Nashville. So you might want to check those out uh, in the show notes. And then finally, as I've mentioned to you before, we are in the midst of this contest, which ends tomorrow, depending on whenever you may be listening to this in the future. Uh, this contest, we've been running for a couple weeks now, and it will be wrapping up tomorrow, uh, June, let me double check, June 13th, Friday the 13th. Uh oh. But don't be alarmed by that uh evil date. This is a uh, just a normal thing we're doing. So grandbalden.com slash contest is where you can find all the details on this we're gonna be giving away uh, an iPad we're giving away a coaching session with me uh, we're giving away a uh, hundred dollars to Amazon and just trying to give some away some some cool prizes and and what we're doing in exchange there is we're asking you to just help us promote this uh, this podcast help us promote this with an iTunes uh, if you would just share with other people if you would subscribe to it with an iTunes if you would leave us a rating and review just an honest feedback of, of how you're enjoying the show that would really really help us a lot it definitely helps the, the rating system within iTunes and helps people to find out about the show. So again, thank you so much for your support. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of this journey. Again, I hope this has been inspiring and helpful to you. And please, if there's anything I can do to help you, if I can support you in your own journey as your own transition, please, please, please don't hesitate to let me know. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Baldwin or you can find me, uh, just email me, grant at grantbaldwin.com. I will email you back uh, maybe a couple days, but I promise I will get back to you because I want to do whatever I can to help you make this transition. I don't want to just talk to a mic. I want to hear from you, live, real human beings. I want to know what I can do to help you on your journey. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? My name is Grant Baldwin. We'll talk to you again real soon.
1: Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.